one thing that we've always believed in is giving more always giving more not just monetarily but in terms of coaching even to entrepreneurs we even help them build their businesses if they want to build right so serving is putting them first we put them first then we put ourselves so it's like first comes the the team that works with us then comes in our mentees then everyone else then our vendors come in and then probably at the end leadership comes and even after me and my other director bronze dave comes at the end so dave keeps himself also at the end Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Today, we have a remarkable guest who has shaped the Dev Gaddafi Group, Mahul Galiani. He's the Director of Finance, Excellence, and Operations. Living in Dubai for 17 years, Mahul has witnessed the profound impact of vision, speed, and redefining excellence as the country experienced rapid growth. He's translated these lessons into their company. Starting as a client, Mahul joined the organization when it had just six employees. Today, it boasts a team of 77 thanks to his dedication and influence. Mahul's persuasion convinced Dev, the CEO, to move the company and himself from India to Dubai, unlocking unprecedented success. His background as a successful owner of a network marketing company further fuels his passion for servant leadership, driving the organization's culture of entrepreneurship. Innovating traditional work norms, the Dev Gaddafi Group offers flexibility without fixed working hours or vacation policies. They also prioritize comprehensive induction program, deeply ingraining company culture in new hires. Prepare to be inspired by Mahul Galani, a visionary leader. Let's dive into his insights and discover the keys to his remarkable journey of servant leadership and empowerment. And you can also watch this episode on our Second in Command podcast YouTube channel as well. Let's see you on the inside and make sure you share this episode as well. So Mahul, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you so much, Cameron. Feels amazing to be here. Great connecting back with you. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you, to learning from you. And um, it is nice to see you again. I think the last time we connected was about six months ago when I was over in Dubai. I'm now officially resident of the United Arab Emirates. I'm now a Dubai resident. I got my residency and papers finalized about a week and a half ago. So... Cheers. Welcome to the best of all the worlds put together in one city. Yeah, it's incredible. It's pretty pretty amazing. How long have you lived in Dubai, by the way? You've been there for a while. Yeah, I've been about 17 years in Dubai now. I came in as an employee here, then ran my own business and now work with David. Okay, so you you came to Dubai in 2006. What, 2007. Yep. 2007. So what have you seen change in that, you know, in that time? I mean, I was over there the first time in 2011 and it was not even really that built out then. Dubai has changed the definition of growth. They've changed the definition of speed. They've changed the definition of what a vision can do. I mean, the way I've seen the grow over 16 years, everything they've come out and they said, we're going to do it on this date. It happens exactly on that date. It's just the ease of lifestyle here, Cameron, is so good. And it's improved so much over the last decade and a half I've been here. I just never want to leave this place and go, is that good? Okay, you, you just said three things that are very intriguing to me, that they defined the definition of speed, they defined a new definition for good, and, and they showed the power of what having a vision can be. 
And I didn't understand uh, the vision components until I was there for the third time last year. I was there four times in three year, in a year. And the third time that I was there, I started noticing these vision statements in buildings and outside on billboards. And I guess it's the the emir or the 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 sheikh, whoever it is, the head guy in 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 uh, UAE or in Dubai has got these vision statements all over. Can you talk about how they're using vision to align people and excite people in Dubai? You know, earlier when I came in here, it was very few people. I mean, very few people could own properties here, right? And now they have expanded it. They have just given people a way to make this a home permanently. Earlier, the like the vision they've driven is this is your home. You can stay here. You can grow here. Like today, we've got something called a golden visa coming in. I've just applied for it for 10 years. I get to stay on a visa here without worrying about renewing it every three years. The vision of constantly driving that we welcome everyone from across the world. We welcome talent to come in. We welcome skill to come in. And everything happens impeccably here in terms of speed, in terms of having things new coming in. I mean, you know, everything, every week, there's something new happening in Dubai. Every week, there's something new happening in Dubai. It's incredible. So when when you've seen that and you've been around it for so long, how do you think that those ideas around vision and speed and, you know, defining what good is now, how do you think those permeate in the business culture for you? How have you brought those into the business world? Because I imagine they're now a part of you. Yes. So uh, thank you so much, Cameron, for asking this question. Because from where we work with Dave Gadwi, this has actually changed our business big time. So I joined in Dave about six years ago, I mean, four years ago. And I joined as a mentee and then I took on sales and took on various other roles. Till about a year ago, we were earning a good 5 million, 6 million turnover. And we were on the high, you know, in India, like, oh, 5 million, 6 million dollars. That's great. I pushed Dave to come here. I said, come and see this lifestyle here. He had come here earlier, but then when he came here and I made him live the rich lifestyle and then he was like, man, there's so much more to do. I said, yes, what we look here at 6 million in India is very big, but here even a 600 million is small because there is just so much more to achieve in Dubai. Like when you earn 6 million in India, you're done, you're sorted, you, you got whatever you dreamt of. But when you're here, there's just this, I want to get this, I want to get this, I want to get this, not just materialistically, but even in terms of just giving back to the way Dubai gives back as a city to the people who live here. And that's been instrumental in our company's growth because I got Dave to shift to Dubai. Right now that Dave is here, we've got the other director, Bronze. She shifted in last week from Hong Kong to Dubai. So the leadership of the whole company right now stays in Dubai. And we are in so awe of this place. We just want to take everything next level. I mean, you've been to Dubai. Everything here is speak in span. And that's what we want to drive into our business. Everything is pick and span. We have a date, we make it happen. We have a vision, we make it happen. We strive hard for it. We get the right people. We get the right people at the right time in the right place. I love that you're using Dubai almost as a role model for your business. That's really fascinating. I'd never thought of it that way, but I can totally see it happening. And it really does align with your brand as well and what you're doing. What was the idea? So was the idea to bring Dev to Dubai to have him think bigger? So it was, it was one was, of course, for him to think bigger. Second was we wanted to create a base for our global operations to start off, which we intend to start shortly. And Dubai is a perfect place because you've got so many, so many cultures here. You've got people from all over the world here. And for us to start impacting the world, like our vision is to impact a billion lives. 
right in what we do in in helping people build business around passion uh, help them change their lives in terms of coaching and for that for a billion lives this becomes a very good place to start i love it right so you said that you were running your own business at one point and then you migrated over to start working with dev so what was it like running your own business and what do you think you bring from that entrepreneurial you know stage of life into now being entrepreneurial and, and running someone's company for them so i used to do network marketing for about 12 years i built a team of over 10000 12000 plus people worldwide i used to travel a lot i built a very sustainable network but then you know uh, my ego caught the better of me and a few bad things here and there a few bad decisions my business collapsed but what i learned over a decade in network marketing was a concept called servant leadership which has come into what we build with the company here too where we always believe that as leaders we serve first we serve first the people who work with us we serve then the customers who come in so everything goes in from the concept of servitude that was one that i got in second my knowledge on events uh, which for 12 years i built in the network marketing company so that's something we built in here and third is my people management so these three things were strong pillars of me coming out here building the servant leadership people management and the concept of events so today we do very unique events we do we do leadership boot camps we do camps where we coach people on how to break themselves shake themselves wake themselves and make themselves we of course do a lot of annual events and a lot of entrepreneur events events for our different batches of campaigns that we run Now I w- I was having lunch yesterday with two people that were in a cult for 17 years and we were speaking about when a company culture embraces things that are culty and and there's a lot of really good things that happen and then it goes too far. So did you learn some things that were in network marketing that you still, you know, really embrace and where do you, where do you think that network marketing goes wrong? Cuz there's some amazing stuff that happens in that world. Yes so it's one of the best industries to work in great stuff great learning great leadership skills great sales knowledge great on ground work great people management but somewhere there's this one dream that's dumped in that's been pushed in of living a millionaire's life and everyone doesn't make it just the fact of people not knowing that success ratio in network marketing is just like everywhere else in the world is just the one person who going to make it but then the way it's delivered the way it's framed around it's like everyone's going to be able to do it but that doesn't happen so that's one and yes like you said the the border shift from stopping at being a cult to getting fanatic that also comes on different groups in network marketing where they stop being a cult and go into fanatism which actually negatively impacts people's life on a personal basis. So how do you bring that kind of fanaticism and culture into the company you're building now without going too far? How do you prevent, you know, because because I think that's the art, right? Taking the good things from from those worlds and bring them into business. How do you how do you make sure that you don't go too far with it? Okay, so uh yes, we are building a cult. There's no two questions about it. We as a company want to build the cult of passion because where people want to build lives around passion. But then we we keep a very thin line of servant leadership. So what happens is where we've got people where we coach people and all that, but we also train them to be servant leaders. So the minute the servitude comes into play, it stops from going into the negative side of fanaticism. it stops at a place where you always at the back of the mind are you know what i'm serving while i'm building a cult while i'm building people to change while i'm building people to create into a tribe and to grow together and to help each other and be accountable and responsible i know it's coming from the concept of servitude 
Mm. What does the concept of servitude mean? Serving above self. You put the other person before you. Like the first thing for us comes down is even if we are going through a challenging time in the company, we first put our entrepreneurs into place. We ensure that they get what they are supposed to get. We ensure that we deliver more, we give more value. One thing that we've always believed in is giving more. Always giving more, not just monetarily, but in terms of coaching, even to our entrepreneurs. We even help them build their businesses if they want to build. Right. So serving is putting them first. We put them first, then we put ourselves. So it's like first comes the, the team that works with us, then comes in our mentees, then everyone else, then our vendors come in. And then probably at the end, leadership comes. And even after me and my other director, Bronze, Dave comes at the end. So Dave keeps himself also at the end. Dave, I mean, for the first few years, Dave did not take any money from the company. He was just serving and serving and serving. So. I, I love this model. Can you walk me through, and I don't want to lead you too far with my thought on it. So I'm just going to try to ask the question. If an employee working for you makes a mistake, drops a ball, screws something up, how do you handle that in a kind of servant leadership style? So one of our core values, our core values is I care, of which C stands for uh, candor with compassion. So we actually sit down. We talk to them of the issue. We give them one chance to solve it out, two chances to solve it out. And then we've got this concept that we drive something called we are not a family. We are very clear with our team. We are not a family. We are a sports team. We are an Olympic sports team, right? So while we give you those times of correcting, then there is a strict yellow card that goes into play. Then there's a PIP that comes into play. So while all this is there, there's a lot of compassion that goes in and feedback mechanism is absolutely crazy. We follow the Netflix culture of, you know, anyone can give feedback to anyone at any given point in time. There's no hope anyone back. Anyone can walk in and give me a feedback, Dave a feedback, and be absolutely open ears to it. We also have in our meetings a Q&A session where anyone can ask us any question in front of everyone and we answer them. So what kind of feedback do you give Dev as the CEO? And and just, uh, it's it's hard to even understand. Dev is D-E-V. It sounds like we're saying Dave or sometimes Dave, but Dev, how do you, how do you give him, what kind of feedback do you give him as the CEO and how do you give him feedback? So the good thing about Dave is I have not seen someone as good as him when it comes to taking feedback. He's an amazing person when it comes to taking feedback. There have been times across the last three, four years of me working with him where we felt, me or my other director, I have felt that, you know what, things are not right and this is not right. Him doing this is not going to help us grow. It's straight, very crisp, simple, straightforward. It's probably four or five sentences and they were like, okay, let me work on this. So it's as simple as that, actually. There's no complication in giving David feedback. Do you ever find that giving him feedback um, does not land well? Or if, if it's done in the wrong way or the wrong time, does it ever not land well? Or is, does it always land pretty well for him? He takes, he listens all feedback. And where he knows he's got to change, he changes. Hmm. I've never seen Dave lose his head once on any kind of feedback over the last three, four years. Whether it's from me or from anyone else in the team. Okay, so so you've gone now from this entrepreneurial journey and working for, I'm going to describe him as a fairly kind of frenetic, high energy, very, very kind of polished, very driven. How do you work with somebody who is is kind of that driven? And, and I'm, my guess is that he's also a bit of a, an idea generation machine. He's probably having lots of ideas very frequently. 
Absolutely. I mean, we know when we are meeting and he's got an idea, the look on his face, we know, okay, today something new is coming up, right? And I think that's the plus point. While he's got that high energy, there's also the calm that I bring into play. With whatever I've gone through, I'm like, okay, you've got an idea, fair enough. Let's put it on the table. Let's work it out. Let's see whether it's feasible now or whether do we do it later. And that's what's good about Dave is he's got a year to it. Even if he's got an idea, he's not a CEO who pushes it down. Because when I joined him, I told Dave, I've not worked as an employee anywhere. I've never worked as an employee. It's been a decade plus. Till 2007, I've worked. And you know what was the first thing Cameron said? He said, Mayul, this is your company. Run it the way you would run your company. And that was the reason I joined him. And from for me, from that day, it's been, you know, yes, this is my company. And that's why it makes sense for the two of us to work together. So it's interesting because that, I think, dovetails into something else that you focus on as well. And you talked about you know, the entrepreneurs that are working inside of your company. Can you walk us through that whole entrepreneur mentality and, and what entrepreneur means to your group? Entrepreneur is someone who's an entrepreneur of the job role he's got, right? So we don't call anyone an employee. We've got everyone on contractual basis. We've got no one who's tied down to an employee contract with us. Everyone's a freelance contractor. That is, they can take off any number of days they want in the year till the work is done. There's a fixed KRA that goes to them. There's a KPI that goes to them. And you know, the beauty is being Cameron. Over the last three years, we've grown from, from 15, 20 people to right now about 70, 75 people. And everyone, everyone has put in more than they would have put in a normal job. The kind of freedom we've given people and people say, you know what, I can't come for a couple of weeks that this is tough. We're like, fair enough. Do your work. See if something's got to be given to someone else. Let them work for you and you go and come back. So giving this freedom has actually got people to take much more ownership, much more ownership. We've never tied down to a weekly off to anyone. We've never tied down to you cannot go on this vacation, that vacation. Actually, we are a company where we've actually forced some of our team to go on vacations. We've seen them like work for two months, three months only. Where's your break? Where is your break? Go for a break. Stop working. It's okay. Take four days off. Go with your family and not spending time with your family because we firmly believe if a person's happy in his home, he's going to perform great at work. Yeah. So, so how do you get people to take that time off? Is it just by hiring people that are happy or by, you know, encouraging them? Because as you said, you don't have fixed days. So you could end up with these workaholics that are always working, but you also don't have fixed vacation time. So you could end up with people that are abusing that policy. And then you're also a, a bit of a remote company as well. You've got some in so do you do you measure or monitor employee productivity or what employees are working on, or do you not worry about it and you just hire great people and you know give them the tools? It's a bit of everything. So one is when we hire, the first thing that we look at is do they match with the value that we have as a company? What matters for us is the values that we drive of integrity, of compassion, of agility, adaptability, extreme ownership and results. Do they actually live up to that? And then we've got our own interview styles and we've got our own reference checks that we do. One is that. Second is we got a very powerful induction program. We got a very powerful induction program where Dave has recorded multiple videos and it's like having a communication with Dave. Dave starts feeling what? Just get a cup of your coffee or your hot chocolate and sit down and let's talk. And the induction is so good. By the time the, the person finishes the induction, he or she is all set and in love with what we are doing. Because not just the vision and mission is driven, but also the freedom of working, the freedom of speech. Because today as well, I don't think people want just money. People want to have a place where they enjoy working. 
and we are remote. We are 100% remote. We've got just a physical registered office, but everyone sits in their homes and works on laptops. Now, that whole idea of an induction program, again, sounds a little bit culty, but in a really, really good way, because you're doing it in a way to inspire people and care about people and talk, walk them through the whole company. Is that something you pulled from the multi-level marketing MLM world was the induction or? This was Dave's idea. This, like, even when I joined him, when we just had about six people, Dave had already created one. And now we've created a better one. And it's 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 one thing that glues people to understand. And first couple of weeks, we do not tell them to get on groundwork. We actually tell them to go through induction, meet people in the company, go for the day-to-day meetings. Like we've got daily huddles happening in most of the departments, right? So they go for the daily huddles. Once they know they are a part of it, that's when work starts going to them. So first a week, 10 days, we give people time to settle. We want them to come completely aligned when they get into work. And I'll tell you something, Cameron. We've just had one or two person who actually left us and gone. Others, we had to tell them to go on performance-based, but nobody wants to leave us and go. It's been that crazy. That's interesting. All right. So I love the model. I love the whole setup of all this stuff as well. You just mentioned that you have been with the company from when there were six employees, and now you've got about 77 employees. How have you had to change as a leader you know, in that time period? And, and what's really changed as an organization in that, in that period as well? So we had multiple ups and downs, multiple confusions. We were lost at times as to where to build because Dave has, this is the first time Dave's a CEO. Me and the other director, we work businesses, but we not work businesses in this structure. Like network marketing doesn't work the way this works, right? So when we started with six employees, we were okay, we were all the doers. And then we suddenly realized over a period of time, we all had to become managers and leaders and all that. Yes, it was a battle for us to put in our systems and processes into place. I think for the first year and a half, they were constantly evolving and changing systems and processes. And that got us to a place where when we found someone new coming in and bringing in a new system, that gave us a massive, massive relief. So over the last three years, one is for myself, from being the doer to just become today a thinker and leading my people has been a massive change. I was someone who could not not do things. I would just get in and start doing stuff. right? Then to hold myself and say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to do this. Let people do it. Let people do it. And let me think of something bigger. Let me think of something better for us to build up. So that has been quite a transition for me. Very cool. I love all this. All right. So you, um, you know, in, in your growth and, in, and you having to continue to scale up as a leader, one of the things you've done is you joined the COO Alliance last year as a member. What what are you benefiting and how are you kind of extracting value from being a member of the CEO Alliance so far? So I'll tell you something. Some of the sessions I attended, I remember the one we I attended on uh, remote management on HR. We have already got so many things that I've learned from here. So many of the sheets that are there on the website, I've taken them and we started using these because for us, operationally, we were very much working on things, but it wasn't as systematic as what a lot of things have picked up from CEO Alliance. So that's helped a lot. And yes, I'm still waiting for CEO Alliance to have a Dubai meetup. And I hope we have that very soon. Yeah, the Dubai meetup is coming for sure. I've got, um, I've started to put some thoughts together for it because it'll be interesting to get a good, more global group. And then also I'd love to get more out of the MENA um, region for sure. So you mentioned the event side of your business. Can you walk us through 
how you bring events in and maybe even tell us a little bit about what the group does. So what, what's your company focus on? You talked about impacting a billion lives. Can you talk about who your typical clients are and how you work with those clients? So we've got uh, different levels of coaching that we do. One is at the base level where we coach any and everyone who wants to build a business around passion. So we actually help them identify what their passion is. We help them identify what the micro niche is. And then we get them to a place where we help them to create a product to create the monetization plan around it, right? That's our first level of program. And then the second level is where they graduate to getting them to go to an income of about $100,000, $150,000 a year. And then above comes in our passion for millionaires where these are all hardcore businessmen who already got a million dollar plus business and we help them go from there 3x or 5x. So events are done differently for all of these categories. So we've got some business retreats happening. We've got the millionaire program outings happening. We've got an annual event which is coming up in August uh, for three days. We've got about 2,000 people coming in in Bombay. And it's a three-day event where we are going to coach them on energies. And the great point, uh, Cameron, about what we do is our coaching is not just based on, it's not just talks. We actually do something called experiential coaching, which is something which has been my expertise because of my network marketing days. So we actually create processes we make them go through processes and that processes change them in their personal life and their business life. We also run something called a passion business leadership bootcamp, which is a four-day rigorous physical, mental, emotional change in a forest in India. You're in a very crowded industry. I mean, there are so many groups that focus on entrepreneurs. It's one of the reasons why I started the COO Alliance and then recently even started the OpSpot as, as two online communities and groups for our COOs and then for anybody in operations, how do you differentiate yourself against all of these other, you know, coaching programs and programs for entrepreneurs? How do you make yourself stand out? Um, or is it that you really scaled from, from focusing on India as your core client base, but you really started to go global from there? So first is, I don't think any coach is as vulnerable as Davis. Dave's biggest biggest asset is he is extremely open, extremely vulnerable, whether it's great profits, great highs, great lows, he just shares it with everyone. And it's not just about going out on the social media and sharing. It's about actually sharing it with the mentees. He does everything what he does so much from the heart that the connect that he's built with mentees is very powerful. Again. The connect that he built with mentees, it's like people adore him. They love him. Many worship him. So his name is Dev. Dev basically means God in India, right? And Guru Dev is a teacher. So people call him Guru Dev out of sheer love. It's not even something that we coined. Is that the mentees coined out and they just love him for that? How has he done that? I mean, especially when you have so many, you know, clients. Like you, you mentioned, you're going to have two thousand people come to your event in um, Bombay. How does he build that kind of a connection with all of these people? How does he get them to feel like they? you know, know him and connect with him. The only one way of doing that is being authentic. Any global when he's authentic to the core, even when three sentences are said, and when it's said from the heart, from the from the soul place, it just connects to people. And that is what connected me. I was a mentee of his first. And that's what connected me. And that's when I told you, you know, I want to be a part of this mission. I don't care about the money you give me. I want to be a part of this mission. I want to impact lives. Well, and that's how I connected with him as well. We met at an event called Mind Valley, and then he saw that I was coming to to uh, Dubai, and you know, invited me over and had me on his podcast. But right away, there was a connection where he was very present and was very authentic, and 
very confident, but no ego. It was just a confident and and connection. And it was a really beautiful thing to see it. So it sounds like that is kind of a core, um, a core element. You as a company have really leveraged social media. Is social media kind of the core of your marketing or are you doing other marketing now as well to find all these clients? Social media is the core of our marketing right now. And yes, we are working on other ways of getting into, we are getting, especially for our top campaigns, we are looking at going out and talking to people. We are looking at actually using referral systems for all of that. But yes, otherwise, social media is a core of marketing. And and is anything working better on social media for you than not? Is anything, um, are you struggling with any areas of social media? YouTube has been doing great for us. Facebook, we have in and out and in and out. So that's where it is as now. And with YouTube, what are you running on YouTube? We're running ads, YouTube ads constantly across India. YouTube ads across India? Across India. And just are these just the normal pre-roll ads that you're running? No, no, no. So these, these, I mean, the beauty about what Dave does and what the marketing team does is we've got fresh ads coming in practically every week. We got fresh ads coming in every week. Those that sustain, sustain. Those don't get changed. So Dave has a schedule where every month he's got ads he's going to be shooting every single month. Okay. So these, are, these are live. These are ads where he's he's communicating. It's almost like the videos that you would run, but then you're you're running them on YouTube as ads as well. And also what's been happening off late is whenever Dave's in India, he's talking to a lot of these street vendors, street hawkers, and he is just... He just gives money. He just gives. He just wants to go out and help people. So all those videos have ended up actually becoming ads and they've actually turned out very well for us. Mm. I love that he's out there like even coaching and mentoring the street vendors and street hawkers just like... Yes. Yes. One of our dreams, actually, one of Dave's dream, one of his vision, which all of us connect to is he wants to do something for the street vendors in India. He wants to platform where they can better the business because they are entrepreneurs in every single fashion in India, every single way. They are amazing entrepreneurs. They just need the right guidance to build a business. Wow. That's an incredible idea. Creating a platform just for them. That's really, really focused for them. So why does India have such an entrepreneurial culture? Is it because necessity almost or? So I, I think there are two points of it. One is the genes. It, it's been there from our ancestor, that business, business, business is driven. Second, also, I think the job market in India is so frustrating and it is so that people would prefer to actually go out and do a business than actually go in the job. I mean, I've got friends of mine who are highly educated and they've opened small restaurants and they're doing damn well than actually working a job. It makes sense. The job market is such a pain that it's just easier to go do something on their own. And there is such demand for it as well. But, um, and, and you're right, it is such a, an incredible entrepreneurial culture. For your people inside of the company, what do you focus on day to day as the COO of the company and, and the scale that you're growing at right now, which is very, very rapid. What are you focusing on and what are you trying to let go of? What are you trying to delegate You know, to get off your plate more? So right now, what I'm delegating is actually every single role of mine. So I handle about five, six departments and I'm looking at delegating everything by the year end because we want to start the global ops. Now for the global ops to come in, I need to focus completely here. So I need to ensure that India is sorted. So every department, we fortunately identified good people, good leaders who've been there for a, with us for a couple of years who've actually built that department ground up and they're taking over stuff. One big thing that we're looking at this year is automating. Because we still do have a lot of things which is 
manually driven, which is still driven on you know, Google spreadsheets and all of that. So we're looking at automating a lot of stuff and every department looks at how can we get into something done better, done faster and with ease. You know, one of the one of the the benefits of operating a global company that's that has, you know, wh- wh- how many employees would you have that are based in India? Uh, other than three of us, everyone's in India. Okay, so one of the benefits of of being able to hire employees in India is that the cost is just so low, right? It's like six thousand dollars a year, ten thousand dollars a year, and you have great people. Is that so? You can kind of throw bodies at a problem, right? You can hire 10 people to do a job. You can hire five people to do a job. How do you avoid that? Because I think that can get very messy very quickly where you're just hiring people versus focusing on optimizing and automating and putting best practices in place. How do you how do you walk that balance? This is exactly what we're doing now. We've just started optimizing. So we've stopped all hiring right now. And right now we are optimizing. We are working on creating an optimization culture where people can work in different departments at the same time. They don't have to be only one department focused because we've got people who can handle uh, multiple departments and we actually call them octopuses. So we've got a lot of octopuses who actually can run three, four departments in different stuff. With all of this, what is being driven is each entrepreneur that we call looks for giving their best and that is a constant level of communication that goes on we've got a weekly meetings our daily meetings and that's where it all drives i love that culture i love that focus that obsession on it as well all right i want to go back to the uh the 21 22 year old mahul who's just kind of getting started in his business career what advice would you give the younger you that you know to be true today but you wish you'd known back then don't bother about glamour and shiny objects, just focus on what you believe and what you feel is right. I love that. Focus on what you feel is right. We often, especially as men, skip over that intuition, right? We we know our, our human computer knows and we often just ignore that. So it's simple. That's beautiful. Mahul Gagliani, the Director of Excellence and Operations for the Dev Gadvi Group. Thank you so much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. Really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much, Cameron, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.